You can see my award-winning climate comedy show spoilers at a festival near you, provided you live near or are going to McHuncliffe or Wells Comedy Festivals. More dates added soon near you, conceivably, who knows what might happen. And if you are at Mac, come and see ComCom Redacted live at 4pm on the Saturday. Go to stuartgoldsmith.com and click the very attractive banner image to find out more. There's never been a faster or easier way to start your weight loss journey than with Plush Care. PlushCare accepts most insurance plans and gives you online access to board-certified physicians who can prescribe FDA-approved weight loss medications like Wigovi and ZepBound for those who qualify. Take charge of your health and speak with a board-certified physician about a weight loss plan that's right for you. Get started today at PlushCare.com slash weight loss. That's PlushCare.com slash weight loss. PlushCare.com slash weight loss. This is a podcast from ComediansComedian.com. This is the Comedian's Comedian Podcast. Hello and welcome to the show. I'm Stuart Goldsmith. I'm here at the Edinburgh Festival and this is going to be slightly on the fly because obviously it's a pretty busy festival. I'm not planning to uh, put out every show as and when, as you'll be aware. They've been uh, going on for about a week now. Uh, we've had some incredible interviews, uh, but this uh, you'll have to, just have to forgive me if these are slightly less organised than the ones that I'm able to calmly release after the festival has uh, concluded. Um, this is Brendan Burns, and uh, I'm going to let him speak for himself. I think out of all of the... Um, out of a lot of the early interviews that I did this Fringe, Brendan is someone that I feel I knew well enough to really get stuck into and pin him down on a few things. I'm very proud of this conversation, and uh, I will let him do most of the talking. Ladies and gentlemen, here is Brendan Burns. Thanks, man. Hey, man. Thank you very much for coming, Brendan. Yeah, you want a quarter-filled room, you put my name on the ticket. Oh, yeah. <laughs> um, let's start with... Um, uh, and I should... I, I actually, I'll tell you what, let's start by just... I mean, I'm sure that the listenership of the, the podcast that's going to go out of this show uh, will be very familiar with your work. There is a chance, however small, that some of these people uh, will have wandered in here to uh, avoid the inclement weather. So for the benefit of them, um, could you describe what your comedy is like? Who are you for people that don't know you? Oh, God, does anyone ever answer that seriously? Uh, it's the first time I've asked it. I thought you'd be, oh, a, perfect, oh, oh, I thought you'd be a perfect guinea pig. <laughs> I remember actually, I just think because there's, because there's humans in the room that sometimes are like, oh, a ticket to something. Yeah, it might be worth just to, before uh, we get into this stuff. I don't know. I guess uh, I've always been a fan of a... a, a <laughs> I'm reminded of a story years ago. There was a black American comedian called Patrice O'Neill, <laughs> and he was on the road, and he told me secondhand this story where this was when I was younger, and I was very, very quick to define what I was doing. Yeah. And, uh, and uh, some guy said to him, so what kind of comedy do you do? And Patrice went, man, what motherfucker answers that fucking question? Do you ever ask a fucking comedian that question? What asshole answers that question? And the guy said, well, Brendan Burns did, and he talked for an hour. <laughs> <laughs> well, I thought you'd be the ideal person to, to try that question out on, just as a sort of an introductory thing, because your shows, uh, you, certainly your Edinburgh shows, are, are the ones that I've seen, are very much focused on you. You seem to fairly relentlessly mine your personal experience for your comedy. You're not doing sort of gentle observations about... Oh, I would argue that all stand-up does that. I'm just okay. way more honest about it. 
Okay. Well, let's uh, let's talk about that. Why? Is I mean, that? Uh, you look at every single theme show or every single stand-up show in this. It's it's the most self-absorbed art form there is. Mm-hmm. It, it just is, right? But the reason why we get away with it is there's a payoff for you because there's a laugh. You know, that's why you come. But otherwise, it would just be you'd effectively just be going paying good money to watch a man blow himself for an hour. <laughs> <laughs> Ah. <laughs> so we like to wear a funny hat to keep you entertained while we're just self-relating. Uh, but I, I, and maybe that's why uh, that uh, sticks in some people's craw is because they want to deny that they're doing that. But yeah, okay. You know, world events, even even topical comics, is still like you know, wouldn't things be better if I was running them? Okay. You know. Uh, uh, I mean, I used to do topical comedy and then, I don't know, but I was a very angry topical comic. Sure. And then it became very apparent to me, hang on, wait a minute. My reaction to the ills of the world is to travel to the world's biggest arts festival and have people <laughs> applaud me for pointing <laughs> out to them. And I kind of realised that was a vanity bordering on conceit. Okay. And so I thought, I, you know, every show you care to, what, what's your show about this year? Uh, I'm not. I'm just doing this one. It's oh. about other people. This oh, is my so it's year what off. happens when you talk to comics. Yeah, exactly. Yeah, <laughs> <laughs> yeah exactly. <laughs> uh, but yeah, so you know, you look at most theme shows. It's what happened when I went and did this. It's you know, yeah. it's it's always still about the person because as an art form, I think no other art form really taps into. For me personally, it's really about finding out who you are. You know, okay. and that's forever, you know, and, and trying your damnedest to just be authentic, sure. you know, and... Um, is, that, is that successful, do you think? If your shows have been intended to find out who you are, have they worked in that? Have you found out more about yourself? Absolutely. My, uh, my director, Paul Byrne, who unfortunately is, uh, had to leave the festival early, sure. and he's worked with a lot of people, but, you know, sometimes I'll come up with something, but the, the one key direction he will give me sometimes is, it's not really you. You know, okay. or you're talking, you know, you're talking from the chip on your shoulder or you're talking too much of what you're doing other people's thinking for them or you're worried too much about what other people's perceptions okay. are of you. And that really gets in the way of, you know, authenticity. So when you're, that's interesting. I'm not, I, I mean, I was aware, I think, that you'd worked with directors in the past. Is that, is, is Paul always your director now? Uh, hopefully, yeah. Okay. You know, as, as much as possible, yeah. And it's, what- he and I can get like, uh, to, to watch us have a conversation after a show. Yeah. You know, there's no sugar coating. We're just getting a job done. Sure. I, 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 I see other people going, look, it's great. And there's wonderful stuff in there. And, you know, yada, yada, yada. Yeah. It's like, He's tell so- me what to take out. What didn't work? What goes here? Come on. You know, let's okay. not fuck around. Okay. And are you, does he play a kind of a creative role in the show? Or is he there as a board, a soundboard for you to, you, you try all the stuff and he says yes or no? How does that, how does that relationship work? Uh, it's more like a brotherhood. Okay. Then, a, then a, you know, I, I think he first started out directing comedy. I think I was his first. He and I were working together. Mm-hmm. And now it's his full-time job. Okay. Um, so there's an understanding between the pair of us that it's just, you know, we get, we get a day's work done in seconds. You know, that I think other people would be labouring over and arguing back and forth. And, and that's because of that honesty, again, that's what you were talking about before, is that you're, 
You have an honest relationship with him. You, do you feel you have an honest relationship with your audience? Uh, absolutely. You are 100% honest with him? Absolutely. I mean, the opening line you saw the show last night is, I'm so painfully unfamous, I recognise the audience. Yeah. <laughs> it's, and, and someone made a criticism uh, one year, uh, Claire Smith from The Scotsman, she brought people along, and some people get offended sometimes because they say that I talk as if I expect the crowd to know who I am. Mm-hmm. But quite the opposite, I expect me to know them. Okay. And so it's because I've given no one any reason to come and see me. You know, okay. anyone new. It's always, you know, it's, it's true. You know, I'm on telly once every five years and I fucked that up. <laughs> uh, so it's either fans or friends of fans that are being dragged along. Or unless, you know, I write the occasional hit show. Sure. And then you get the odd transient coming in. Okay. And how do you, is, is that how, is that a, a kind of a conclusion that you've come to after years? Like you're someone who's been to the Edinburgh Festival, as long as I've been coming here, I'm sure I've seen posters. Yeah, my first shows. was in 96 and I've only missed two. Okay. And you have presumed. That's hilarious to me as well now, like as, as my beard gets greyer. It's hilarious yeah, to man. me now that people go, wow, 96. And I'm like, yeah. I was fucking back then. That's not, <laughs> you know, like, you, don't you, you get to a certain age and the really, like, a long time ago is probably pre-virginity. Is that about right? Like, look at you. you <laughs> <laughs> okay, but you so, you, so in all your years of coming to Edinburgh, you have, have you always been that honest? Is that something you started off, like, when you, when you first started comedy? Sorry, I've got my phone on. That's very, very wrong of me. That's quite all right. I'll fill. Isn't his beard grey? <laughs> yeah, it is. But I'm actually, I'm glad it's grey now, as opposed to it used to have trampy ginger in there. And uh, I couldn't let it go. That sounds like a singer. <laughs> trampy ginger? <laughs> hey, hasn't that replaced, remember the really shit gag of when you're like students to make, that could be the name of our indie band. Oh, yeah. And Edinburgh has a new one now. That should be the name of your show next year. Yeah, totally. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> like it totally be next year's show. <laughs> so, uh, so we were talking about... Um, uh, about honesty. So let's talk about how you, you started as a comedian and whether you are like... Uh, the, the, the change that's taken place between how you started and the sort of comedian that you are now. What was the, what was the circumstances of your first comedy performance? <laughs> how did you bring yourself to it? It's the worst beginning of comedy story ever. Okay. Like, everyone talks about their first gig and mine's the worst. Okay. That's probably where the anger started. <laughs> was... Uh, <laughs> I'd always been the funny one in my family. I'd wanted to be a comic since I was nine years of age. I first saw Flip Wilson uh, in Texas. Very formative trip, actually, uh, travelling with my family on business. I saw my first stand-up comedian, Flip Wilson, black American comedian. Mm-hmm. Uh, first guy to rally, you know, do stuff about race and really go after sure. race relations before prior, before, you know, before, you know, it, 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 he's a precursor to everyone, right? Okay. And uh, I remember... Uh, at nine years of age, he walked out and it's Texas, 1980, and he's the only black guy in the room. It's like Stetson hats and shit. And he's, it's the old kind of comic right, yeah. as well. Like he's got a tux, he's got a band, full-on band, all white band. And he goes, ba-da-ba-ba, please welcome Flip Wilson, ba-da-ba-ba. And he just like points to the guy, his band leader, and his opening line in all right rumours, does your daddy know you work for a nigger? It'd kill him. <laughs> And the whole room was just stunned, silent, right? And I'd never even heard that word before, right? Yeah. And I'm like, ah. And then there was this beautiful moment just hanging in the air of people trying to work out who the butt of the joke was. And then they realised that it was their received racism. 
Okay. So he stood on the rug and pulled it out from underneath himself sure. and them. Sure. Right? And then there was a laugh. But there was this wonderful moment of limbo of whether you don't know the chair's going to fall all the way okay. back or you're going to land flat on your feet. And that moment of limbo, I just remember being so... Uh, just so mystified by it, so, so enamoured by it, so just uh, that hang time. Sure. I just remember now, as a nine-year-old kid, I was like, I want to do that. I want to do that. Okay. And, um, and so what was it, but what was it that, that drew you to it? Because I'm familiar with that story from your, from your show, so I suppose this is offensive now. Yes. So from all through my uh, childhood, yeah. everyone else was getting into, um, you know, when people had their Beatles and their Rolling Stones phase or whatever, mm-hmm. like everyone did, you know, they had their bands they liked. I liked comedy. And I had like all Richard Pryor's albums. I had Eddie Murphy. I was a huge fan of black American comedy. Mm-hmm. And it's actually taken me 23 years to discover that I've tried to emulate black American comedy, which is why I've been punched a lot. Uh, <laughs> turns out I don't have the same license. <laughs> and, but it's really weird, like going back to old footage as well. I was under the impression that whenever I was doing that, I was like cutting truths, you know, and people were, I was looking really cool and slick. And I go back and look at old photos. I look so fucking camp yeah. every time. Yeah. I really I was like, oh, you know my now, point? I'm under the impression I'm doing that shit, right? And yeah. I was like, mm. <laughs> I'm now, a lobster. Wait, what period is this you're talking about? Because I want to agree with you, but I don't want to agree with you. And then you go, oh, I didn't mean then. No, and no, probably <laughs> still now as yeah, well. Okay. Now, now I just embrace the campness. Sure. I remember when I first met you, you were wearing a, a black leather jacket and a red kind of handkerchief around yeah. your head and blue jeans. And you were, I absolutely had you pegged as one of those kind of journeyman comics. It's like, I'm on my road, I'm on my path. Everything about my life is comedy and I'm a wild-eyed loner. And I'm looking, like, you know, you were like, you, it, it looked like you thought you were the Mad Max of comedy. Do you know what I mean? You were just like, yeah, this yeah, is... Yeah, that's probably true. Okay, well, no, good, good. It's... Yeah, I'll wear that. Sure, okay. So, so was that That's honest That's why whenever I see some young lad, like, <laughs> on stage, going, what, am I fucking with your minds, people? Am I too edgy? I'm at the back just wanting to yell, you just want to be loved. Yeah. <laughs> you're frightened and you're afraid and you... everyone will find out you're charming. <laughs> it's and... a dumb thing to be scared of. And you know about that. You know about that because yeah. you've seen that from the inside. Because oh, that yeah, was so we'll, we'll get back to the, the, the um, so how I started. So obsessed with comedy all my life. I used to do a stand-up, and we used to do a comedy concert at school, which, believe me, is way more frightening than beginning stand-up comedy in front of mm. your school. Sure. And we had a fake breakdance band, me, Steve Lee, and uh, Michael Chusack, who I think is now the Minister for Arts. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, so fuck him. Um, I think he's running for Mayor of Perth or something, but um, and we had a fake breakdance band called the Sonic Will Bases. Okay. And, uh, you know, and I got my first laugh in front of that with a rap song for the deaf, uh, which was really offensive. Um, and it's staggering that I was allowed to do that at school. And, uh, but that's when I got the bug. There was the pop. You know, I went for it. And, and, and uh, I'd always been the funny one in my family. And, uh, you know, given speeches and always kind of mm. was pretty good at, you know, holding a crowd's attention. And then uh, my sister was in a car accident. She lost her husband and a kid. Mm. And she's always been like uh, the closest member of my family. And my nephew is like my, you know, is, is as close to a son as my son is. Sure. You know, to this day. And, um, but it's the only time that my family had ever been reliant on me. And mm. they went, you've got to come over and cheer us up because you've always been the funny one. This, this happened in England. Mm-hmm. So I came over, worst day of my life. 
So I walked in, saw my sister in traction, saw the dead baby, saw uh, my, my nephew was four, and his first thing he says to me is, Uncle Ronan, my dad's dead, right? And I'm like, oh, I've got to step up, you know. Mm-hmm. You know, I've got to, you know, be more involved in this guy's life. And, um, and, and while all this is going on, because bearing in mind I come from Perth, Western Australia, there's no opportunity to do open spots. While all this is going on, I went, I'll book myself an open mic because I'm fucking mental. <laughs> because there's a huge difference. I'm going into shtick. I've done this on stage before, so sure. excuse me if it's too That's practiced. okay, that's all right. Uh, but it's because there's a huge difference between being a funny guy and a stand-up comic. Yeah. Because I've seen plenty of funny guys. You know, this is an obsession. This is a social disorder. Okay. It's, it's a social disorder. Sure, Being sure. able to talk in front of a room full of people about your most humiliating things yeah. is a complete and utter social disorder. It's, it's love from strangers. Why uh, did you... Why did you I'm, I appreciate I've, you've told this story before. I've I want still, to stop you. I'm still Go not on. done yet. Okay, okay. I'm sort of, but it's, uh, I've segued. Um, <laughs> See, is, like all the best segues, you have to point it out. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> and um, so, you know, I, 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 I've seen funny people start out in stand-up comedy and the first time they get booed off, mm-hmm. they just go, oh, I can't go through this again. And they walk out of the room, never to be seen again. A stand-up comic will get booed off and try and get back up that same night wearing a different hat. Sure. <laughs> okay. Declaring, wasn't that last guy shit, right? <laughs> Which was my opening line for the first five years. <laughs> um, and so while all this was going on, right, I booked myself an open mic night and you have to bear in mind this was 1990, right, in England. And PC, we'd just come off the back of PC, which was an alternative comedy, which... Started out as well-meaning, but really turned into basically a middle-class white art form entertaining middle-class white people who all determine where the boundaries of taboo lie. Okay. Kind of bigoted. Okay. But very covert bigotry, very sneaky, not really aware of itself. And in those days, if you got up with this accent and my demeanour, whole room would shut down. You know, okay. bearing my demeanour in... Oh, you mean because they were middle-class white people and you were Just like, oh, good enough. Lord, a convict staring to talk to us, right? Um, really? Yeah. In the 90s? You fucking bet. You Re- bet. Dude, I still get it to this day. It is staggering to me who feels it's okay to say to me, oh, I never knew you were quite clever. I'm like, fuck you. Okay. You know, were you not at the time wearing a black leather jacket and a red handkerchief <laughs> and, do- and doing your best to look like an unreconstructed convict? Valid point. <laughs> Valid point. Uh, we make our beds. Yeah, you got a point there. I'll wear that. Um, uh, <laughs> you got a good point there. But but it's but at, at that time I actually didn't look like that. I was a rather fresh-faced child. Okay. Um, and maybe that mask of the the leather jacket and all that sort of shit came after this. Sure. Was I booked a gig and uh, and it was an open mic night. Also bearing in mind, it's a very friendly room. It's a bringer show. It's friends mm-hmm. of the open spots. Mm-hmm. I get up, I'm filled with rage because all while all this uh, was going on, and I was looking after my sister, my best friend back home, fucked my girlfriend. Right, so I felt very betrayed. So I got on stage and I was very angry at women because I wasn't old enough to process the difference between one woman doing this to me and all women. So I'm just doing this gig from hell. I've done no preparation because I'm sitting there thinking I've killed every gig I've ever done in front of basically practicing in front of my friends. Mm-hmm. So I've done no preparation and I'm just screaming and yelling, going, you're all shit at giving head. In a... Show me how you suck a dick on the microphone. Show me. And it's a bringer show and there's these nice ladies going, oh, oh what's happening? Right, and eventually I broke down and, and I just said... Uh, uh, like, uh, this is my first ever gig. And I broke down after five minutes and just started screaming at the audience going, why don't you cunts think I'm funny? Why don't you think I'm funny? 
And eventually the comp pair goes, come off, come off. And I walk to the back of the room to make matters worse. My parents were in <laughs> videotaping the entire thing. And as I walked past my dad and I said, please tell me you stopped taping that. And he said, and I quote, son, I stopped recording the moment the first tear of shame hit my cheek. <laughs> okay. <laughs> At which point I thought, this is the life for me. Okay. Cut. You are, you're, and I realise there's an audience here, but you're performing this story right now. Yes, I've saying, I've because I've perfected it because I've been asked me. it. Yeah, sure. I, I appreciate that. Yeah. Actually, you know what? My friend Cole Cabana gets mad about that as well. I yeah. guess, like He sees me do a bit later on. But let's face it, as you said, my act is quite emotion, emotionally... Well, I think for someone who is honest and who is talking about real things, and I think, honestly, in the, in the preparation of these, the research I've been doing uh, ahead of all the interviews I've been doing here, you, for me, have been a revelation because I think I, as a, as a comedy viewer, when I was coming to the Fringe 15 years ago, before I was a comic, I thought it was kind of easy to write you off as this kind of journeyman thing that wouldn't be the sort of thing I'd be interested in. And the more of your shows I've gone back and listened to since, I've genuinely gone holy fuck Brendan's actually saying something because I, I as a punter was completely put off by the the leather jacket the, the, the aggro the attitude on your posters when you were you, I remember right. a quote on one of your posters that said all the quotes on everyone else's posters is massage lies half truths everyone else's quotes are bullshit these are the real quotes I was like this guy's an asshole. do you know what I mean and <laughs> so that, that put me off seeing of your fringe. stuff well, yeah, okay, but it, it well, and, and to be fair, you were sort of dressed as Conan on a throne, but yeah. uh, but but do you see what I mean? The maybe, maybe that's a bad example, but the, the point I'm making is that I found it easy to write you off because you came with you kind of brought so much what seemed to me to be faux aggression, and you know, it didn't seem to be honest. And I thought, I, I think I know what I'm going to get from this. Oh, I'm no, gonna I get was a angry, guy. I was angry for a very long time, okay. Uh, and let's, it's, let's just and that's on. why I was being honest before when I said I'm going into shtick now because I've been asked this and I've practiced the story sure which uh, so I, I gave you the heads up yeah yeah that's okay <laughs> um, try to tell the story without telling the the chip the on the shoulder that, that Paul practiced. and I always try and work against is I hate condescension okay but at the same time I'm a very contrary individual so sometimes I try and create a situation that people that basically pricks I see a all right. I see a bigotry in this country that I don't think it's aware of. Okay. Uh, I think it's th thousands of years old mm -hmm. and uh, thousands and thousands of years old and it's usually exposed when people least think they're doing it. Okay. Uh, and it's born on elitism, it's born on classism, it's born on accent. That's why people, when they go to university, they change the way they speak sure. if they want to be taken seriously. Yeah. And I fucking hate it. Okay. I hate it. Because I've lived... Have uh, you, have you, 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 you hate it because you've personally experienced it, because you felt when you were going on stage as a young comic in this country, is that what you're saying? That you felt there was an elitist audience that sneered at you, didn't give you, didn't rate you, weren't prepared to listen to you? Also, is that, is that, I never is judge that what you're saying? I never judge a book by its cover. Okay. Ever. And, and I mean, I, I refuse to condescend to anyone... Uh, no matter what their disability, their creed, their, uh, their religious background, whatever, particularly if everyone comes into clown school, as far mm -hmm. as I'm concerned, they're way more my brothers than anyone else. Sure. You know, the, the, the fact of the matter is I know somewhere something happened that broke their heart and they need love from strangers. Sure. And not only that, they got booed off and they didn't quit. Mm -hmm. You know, at some point so everyone's been booed off. Absolutely. Every comic has been booed off and didn't quit. Mm -hmm. You know, there are people that get booed off and go into criticism. 
Sure. And uh, sometimes there are people, there are critics that are very, very patronising. And it's yeah. like, you know what? You lower down the evolutionary rung. Sure. Because you tried, you failed and you gave up. Absolutely. I understand that. And, and I think I've got a massive chip on my shoulder. You can hear it talking now. And sure. it gets in the way of my comedy. Okay, okay. So, I mean, it seems to me that what you're talking about in terms of other comedians and, you know, not condescending to people, that's what you're talking about there is community. It's yeah. a sense that we're a gang. You and, you and I and anyone else in this room who's been a stand-up, And sometimes I've experienced it. Somewhere. I've lived in England a long time. I've experienced it from other comics. Okay. And, and, it's and, and when you say it, you mean condescension. Condescension and also kind of a pseudo left-wing pretension. Okay. That is actually a wafer-thin wafer-thin veil over a very, very covert okay. covert prejudice. Sure. And, uh, and you know and what? You're angry with this prejudice because I'll you feel I'll talk to women, like... I'll talk to black comics, I'll talk to disabled comics about it, and we all see it. And the funny thing is, <laughs> the Australian one, the Australian thing doesn't count mm -hmm. because this is, a, this is a select group of people that get to tell, that, that get to determine who the ethnic minorities are. Okay. And you I'm mean still, comedians. comedians? I'm an ethnic minority determine... and no one considers it. Okay. I'm an Australian living in England. I'm an immigrant. I'm, there, I'm therefore from a different culture. I'm sure. an ethnic minority, but no one knows. Okay. Who are you talking about, that small group of people? Do you mean comedians? Who are the small group of people who decide I think that? there's a new subset of comics that are turning into, that have uh, received so much acclaim from critics that they've turned into them. Okay. And I've seen it happen. Is this, you were years. talking about Stuart Lee and the material that you would... I, uh, I I oh, no, no, I make I fun of Stu. Yeah, sure. I love Stu. Yeah. Here's the thing as well. I love Stu. I hate his audience. Okay. It was very funny. Hate his stuff audience. on that last night is very, very good. hate his audience yeah. of this whole idea of the backslapping for comprehending jokes. Yeah. You know, I think I even forgot the joke last night. It's an involuntary response. Uh, the, the, the reason that you laugh is because you're surprised. It's yeah. an involuntary response. If you want to go, <laughs> I'm so clever I understood that. Uh, it's a stupid joke, it doesn't make sense, but it's, you know, it's an involuntary response. If that's the case, how come when someone sneezes, instead of bless you, we don't go, you're a fucking genius? <laughs> yeah, it's a dumb joke, but... Um, and, uh, and, and the thing is, guys like Stu and Rich, Her Rich Herring, I don't actually count in this. Mm -hmm. I don't actually count in this, because when I was coming up, and they had every reason, they were 20-something comics who were famous, they had a TV show, yep. and they were great to other 20-something comics. Mm. I will never forget that, how cool mm. they were, how supportive they were when, you know, they saw something in me and my peers coming up as well, and they were like, it's really great, you know, and they would talk to you for ages sure. when you were, like, opening for them uh, or whatever. So, we, I mean, and I'm not asking you necessarily what to I name don't any like names, but... What I don't like is a subset, you know what, there's already an us and a them, I've written an article about it actually this week, there's, there okay. already is an us and a them. Okay. We don't need another subset. Okay. There's already plenty of criticism going. Sure. And the bottom line is, be honest, you know, you know, you want to kill yourself alternative or whatever, be honest. Who would you rather share a car with, John Bishop or Brian fucking Logan? Yeah. <laughs> Sure. <laughs> Just for the benefit of the uh, listener there, uh, John Bishop, is all you'll know, is a comedian and uh, Brian Logan is the critic for The Guardian. Whose yeah. even positive reviews managed to be condescending. Sure. <laughs> he cer certainly, I, I don't, he doesn't seem to like comedy very much in many of the reviews of his. Uh, no, no, I don't think he likes stand-up and he makes his living off the back of it. Sure. And you know what? Everyone's afraid to Listen, say it, but fuck it. 
So this is Brendan. I, I imagine most of you will be familiar with him. I, there will be people in remote corners of the world who, who aren't familiar with his work. And it's certainly worth tracking some of it down, as I, I've either already said or I'm about to say on the show. And uh, as I said, this, this intro is done on the fly and not written, so uh, forgive me for not knowing. Um, but Brendan is someone who really genuinely talks about subjects. There's no... Uh, there's no fluff. He really is is very adept at getting his teeth into the meat of uh, an, an actual socio-political issue or a sexual issue or a personal issue and uh, and really not letting go of it until he's wrung a lot of comedy out of it. So uh, I hope you find this conversation as stimulating as I did. And uh, yeah, I hope you enjoy it. So listen, guys, I've been plugging the live shows to you for ages. I'm aware that uh, you uh, some of you are coming to see them, which I really appreciate. And let's be honest, I'm doing a live show of something that you can uh, download for free later. And I know a lot of people prefer to listen to podcasts, you know, in the bath or whilst driving or what the hell. But um, uh, it, it really would be good for me to make any money at all back from this process whatsoever if uh, if you came to see the live shows. And uh, I, you'll see, if, if you've listened to, if you're on a long flight or a journey and you've came three or four of them, you can probably hear in my voice the, uh, the switch around I've done from, hey man, the shows are selling really well, come and see them, to please come and see the shows. Um, I don't know quite what the issue is. I, I suspect that there's an awful lot of uh, podcast conversational stuff happening. But um, I I think we're genuinely, and when, again, when I say we, I mean me, I think I'm genuinely producing something unique here. So uh, I'm, I would be very pleased uh, to see more people through the door here at the Edinburgh Festival. So if you are listening to this one in August and you are arriving at the festival later, do come along and see it. Uh, if you've got a Gilded Balloon Pass, make use of it because I'd rather have a body in the room than not, even if you're getting in free. And um, also, yeah, just kind of, if you wouldn't mind tweeting about it, if you wouldn't mind right now when you're listening to this, if you could tweet something nice about the podcast, mention it's on at 5.15pm in the Gilded Balloon and put the hashtag Ed Fringe on it, that would certainly help me out. If we could have a bit of a flood of people that do that uh, as soon as you finish this episode, I would really appreciate that. Um, I'm, uh, I was going to get all street performery on you and go, hey, I've given you a thing for free and you can decide. I'm not going to try and neurolinguistically program you here. But uh, I'd certainly appreciate your help because this is one of the few times of the year when I try to make some money out of the podcast as opposed to spending money and time. I sound a bit like Herring now. Uh, I hope you enjoyed that one. I've had a lot of very positive feedback about the, uh, the Richard Herring podcast. I was very proud of that one. And of the shows we've had so far, we've had some genuinely revelatory shows. You guys are going to go absolutely mental for the interview I did with Tony Law uh, just yesterday. The Greg Proops episode was superb. We really got into a lot of depth and detail, some of it about my purpose life, uh, my, my personal life, uh, in the conversation with David Baddiel, who, who turned the tables on me. Phil Nickel, Norman Lovett, uh, Hal Cruttenden, they're all good episodes. Uh, I, I'm sure you're going to enjoy them as and when they come out, and I'll put them out as soon as I can. In the meantime, have a wonderful festival if you're up here. Have a wonderful August. If you're not, I shall return you now to Mr. Brendan Byrne. Life is full of what ifs. Some awesome, like what if AI could fold your laundry? And some, well, less awesome, like what if you have unexpected medical costs? United Healthcare can help get you covered with Health Protector Guard fixed indemnity insurance plans. They supplement your primary plan to help you manage out-of-pocket costs. No deductibles, no enrollment periods, and especially no more what-ifs. Visit uh1.com to find the Health Protector Guard plan for you. When you're ready to pop the question, the last thing you want to do is second-guess the ring. 
At BlueNile.com, you can design a one-of-a-kind ring with the ease and convenience of shopping online. Choose your diamond and setting. When you find the one, you'll get it delivered right to your door. Go to BlueNile.com and use promo code LISTEN to get $50 off your purchase of $500 or more. That's code LISTEN at BlueNile.com for $50 off your purchase. BlueNile.com, code LISTEN. We've shifted from, and this is, we're within the bounds of talking about your anger, but we've shifted from yes. your anger at comedians, your anger at audiences, your anger at critics. Yeah. You're obviously an angry guy. We get that. No, I'm what not, I'm, though. You okay. asked me what made me angry. Okay. And I said, that gets in the way. I think that gets in the way of being whole. Because you know how people will say, some people, I think it should be about a complete lack of censorship. And some people confuse that with just being disgusting for an hour. Sure. But the fact of the matter is, no one is a fully, wholly disgusting human being. If you're up there just basically saying the worst thing you can think of for an hour, you are censoring yourself. Okay. Because, you know, what about the things you love? What about the things that you, you know, it's just all about being complete. Yeah. I, okay, I feel like a oh, lot of so your... Oh, so back to that point. So that, that thing that I'm trying to get out of my system so that it yeah. doesn't infect okay. my show. Okay, that we were talking about here is, as I said, there's already an us and a them. I just, I, you know what? It just miffs me a little. I don't even have beef with critics. I really mm-hmm. don't. I think there's some brilliant ones. Mm-hmm. And there are some brilliant ones that fucking hate me. Mm-hmm. You know, that I still like, like Kate Copstick couldn't stand me for years. I still kind of liked her. Sure. <laughs> I, I do, look, give her 10 years when her demeanour, her age fits her demeanour and she will be adorable. <laughs> Do you know what I'm saying? She is a 90-year-old woman trapped inside a 70-year-old woman's body. Uh, uh, She would love that. She would love that. She would love that joke. She would love that joke. And what I respect about her is even the stuff that she hates, she injects enough of her personality into it that you know if it wouldn't be your cup of tea. She could give something five stars and you would still be able to be turned away from it, going, that's for her, not for me. Sure. Okay, okay. You know what I'm saying? Absolutely. I absolutely understand that, but I really want to pin you down onto this and so, issue oh, oh, of... So what I'm saying is I don't like it when people... <laughs> sorry, sorry. Uh, so what, I, what I'm saying is I don't like it when people sell us out to get themselves over with them mm-hmm. because nothing panders to critical acclaim more than slagging off people that pander. It's pandering. Sure. It's a whole brand new subset of pandering. And it's, you know, everyone, you know, we all know the Edinburgh tricks. Bring uh-huh. it down at 45... Yeah, because people have seen five stand-up shows in a day, and anyone doing anything than, other than trying to make a room full of people laugh, mm-hmm. it's a break. You know, do something earnest at forty-five, but above all, make the pseudo pundit feel like he's an expert. Sure. Congratulate him for understanding something. Sure. Three goes to four. Four goes to five, and everyone knows it. Yeah. Everyone, it's a this secret. Is, we're almost talking in code here. Do you understand? Do you what understand we're talking what I'm about? saying? Four stars goes to five. Oh, yeah, right. Okay, bring it down to 45. At the 45-minute mark, uh, you've been killing for 45, right? Killing for an hour is the toughest thing to do because, again, we're invoking an involuntary response. It's a hot room. It's, a, it's, a, it's a, you know, a, 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 not a cynical crowd, but certainly a savvy crowd. A, 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 you know, there's more aficionados in Edinburgh than your average audience, let's face mm-hmm. it, right? So that's hard to lift the roof off the place for an hour. That's cha- that is the challenging bit. Uh, but if you've got something that's highly thematic, 
everyone knows this, and this is a dilemma that everyone goes through before they come up here. Sure. Is uh, uh, explain one of your jokes, say what you're not, and at 45 minutes, bring it down and do something heartfelt and earnest so that it is, it is showing that you have a, uh, a range, mm-hmm. and possible acting range, so that a lot of people that, you know, <laughs> true, it's true. So the people that also basically generally that review theatre and don't yeah. really know much about comics and comedy, that appeals to them because they've watched five stand-ups in a row, lift the roof off the place, and I defy anyone to watch fucking five stand-ups in a row. Right? I, I get that. That's, that's, a, that's a big ask. So if you do something different and then show that range and then yeah. with a uh, culminating in a well-constructed closer, three stars goes to four, four stars goes to five. So that basically, and I, I think we've all, comedy fans certainly will have seen that and we'll all know of people that we think might be guilty of that who, uh, who basically have played the system. I've pandered yeah. to it. I was gonna, well, I was going to ask, have you, do you feel that you've had a part in creating that system? You've done thematic shows. You've, you know what I mean? I, I wonder where that system came from. It's kind of quite widely known now that if your dad dies 40 minutes in, you're onto a winner. Do you that's know what I mean? Why, that's, <laughs> that's why me and Paul Byrne, my dad died last year, right? And yeah. we tried to break that rule. Yeah. By trying to get to it in the first 10. <laughs> yeah, okay. <laughs> um, because I pulled my life for, you know, for, for stand-up. And it was like, you do it at 10, you're taking a big risk. No one's really ready for it at 10. Sure. And they're going, but I want to get it out of the way. Yeah, yeah. Okay. Uh, <laughs> which, okay, but do you, do you, which, do you think, though... It's terrible that to say that at my fucking face. <laughs> I want to get my dad's death out of the way. <laughs> All right? So, you know, it was very inconvenient. Do you think you've had a part, though, in... in because Probably. you've done thematic shows, do you think that you've, you have been part, one of the people that has, um, that's, that's created that, that genre of a revelatory show? Because, again, you had shows about, you had Brendan versus Burnsy, about the two sides of your personality. You had shows about alcohol. You had a show about sex addiction. Your new show touches on your recently discovered deafness. And you, each of your shows, that, the nature of making a revelation, the nature of, um, of, of making a show that has a revelatory aspect to it, do you feel that you're, you're kind of hoping for stuff to happen? Or, or... Oh, that was certainly part of the addiction. Okay. When, uh, years ago... I, by, by the time of your third addiction show, I kind of went, really? It wasn't about addiction. The, the, third, the third one... I mean, the first one was about the breakup. I wrote a trilogy. I wrote a trilogy... Uh, uh, that was uh, part one was separating my on-stage persona and off-stage persona after splitting up with my fiance. Then part two was about me trying to search for consolation by handing out mushrooms at the Glastonbury Festival <laughs> and ringing her live one year to the day that she divulged that she was seeing someone else. And then the third one was it turned out I went mad. Um, so the third one wasn't necessarily about sobriety. That was more about the actual writing of the trilogy. Someone wrote to me afterwards and said, did you write the trilogy because you were crazy or did the writing of the trilogy drive you crazy? Because part two, basically, I was trying to do what you're describing, the revelatory magic button. Sure. So I was addressing that and I was searching for that. But the fact of the matter is, I was getting up every night talking about stuff that I was very, very fucking angry about. And at the top of the show, I was furious and then I did the final neat let her go ending. Yeah. And then I got it back up the following night and I did it again. Okay. And, you know, it's, it's, a, it's, a, it's a rehab cliche, isn't it? The, the definition of insanity is doing I, the same thing over and over and expecting different results. Do you think you can results. still be honest, though, when you're, when to a certain extent you're pulling strings and pushing buttons and you're creating, 
you're creating the reality of the show. You're talking about honest, and I'm not just talking about, uh, I don't just mean this about your own work, but the way stand-ups have revelatory or painful experiences and have to relive it every night. When something really bad is happening, there is an obsession of sometimes going, I've got to get something out of this. Yeah. Right, but now I have a very, very different attitude because I did that in 2005 and it drove me crazy. I actually got locked up. I got sectioned. Even in rehab, I got sectioned, which is... So even in the fucking group, you get sedated and removed. Okay. And I had a full-on psychotic episode. Like, saw okay. sa- I, I'd done too many hallucinogens. I saw Satan twice, uh, you know, uh, once looking in the mirror. Not a pleasant, not a pleasant exercise. That's how the okay. beard went grey. Went grey overnight. I shit you not, went grey overnight. I didn't have a grey beard. Okay, let me put this. To, let me put this to you. That may very well. I'm not. I'm not disagreeing with any of it. I'm not saying that any of it's not true. But can you see how, from the outside, that sounds a bit like a lot of that stuff sounds like what a kind of teenager would say when they were desperate for attention. Oh. I'm, not, I'm not accusing you of making it up. Oh, no, what here I'm we saying go. is, that do you wasn't understand in the show. How? We're just talking now. Sure, okay. But, but, you know, the Glastonbury taking mushrooms, chucking stuff out, do you know what I mean? What, what I'm getting at is that you are... I'm fascinated with your relationship to the truth, and I think you are very honest, and I think you've got fascinating thoughts uh, and very funny thoughts about the world and the way the world works, the way offence is created, the way, you know, all, all sorts of different things like that, love, death, all the rest of it. But I also think that that, in, that intellect that you have is married to a, a sense of you as still being that wild-eyed loner that you really want to prove to us how deep you are and how exciting your life is. <laughs> does, that, does that resonate with you at all? Or am I just... Look at everyone going, how are you not offended? And yeah. I'm like, because <laughs> that's really funny. And, and, and not only that, I always argue that self-awareness does not come from within. You know, the only thing, you know. Yeah, that's another brilliant sort of sound bite that sort of sounds clever, but I don't really know what you mean. Okay. <laughs> don't you? Not really, no. I think it's funny and I buy okay. it. I buy the surface Brendan of like bang slick thing, but I know that in there there's a really intelligent, emotional Brendan that isn't kind of getting oh, away with stuff. That, that's the sound bite, but then I'm going to elaborate. Okay. But you've called me on it. Okay. But that's okay. Okay. I feel I know you well enough too, and I really, I really appreciate yeah, that. You no, know, that's you okay, because it's, it's, it's everything that I've said thus far, you, you said, oh, he's going to come along and talk about anger. And at first I was a bit offended because I was like, are you basing this on late night shows? Because at sure. late night shows, it's, you know, and sometimes I do get that from comments going, oh, we saw you screaming at a room full of people. Yeah, at sure. Night. I've seen you up the creek or somewhere like that. And I'm that, going, where, that's yeah. because it's a room full of cunts. <laughs> it's a room full of cunts and not only that if I was to judge every other comic based on their performance at Late and Live they're drunk and they forget their jokes apparently yeah well not okay some of them do not all of them do and not but all you know, of everyone not all of comedians deal with a room full of cunts by screaming and shouting okay them. but you know you, what you chose I to do, do that but generally it's because well first of all the deafness helps <laughs> because a room full of people booing isn't really that scary if you can't hear them they just look like cattle and <laughs> Uh, uh, but also, I have a really very defined, I guess, code and sense of justice. Okay. That uh, I do believe there's an us and a them. And I never liked it when someone got booed off and the comic that went up after them sold them out. Yeah, sure. I, yeah, right? I appreciate Just to that. get themselves yep. over, right? Yep. I've never, ever liked that. Uh, I understand why people do it and they feel it's a survival instinct. But sometimes I've seen them be like, all right, this is going to sound sexist. Uh, but sometimes say if it's like okay you know what it, it, this is a bit condescending it is i realize it now that it occurs to me but sometimes if there's like a a, a camp gay guy 
mm-hmm. and they're really mean to him. Or there's like a, a softer spoken girl and there's just a room full of assholes bullying them. Yeah. That's generally when you'll see me just be aggressive from the top. I don't like that room and I don't want them to like me. And, and quite frankly, I'm appalled by the way they treated the person, mm-hmm. my, yep. my compadre sure. beforehand, and I feel that I have some of the tools to basically tell the audience what they really are. Mm-hmm. Yeah, you absolutely do. I'm not questioning that at all. And I don't think that some people necessarily have those tools or it's not part of their persona. Mm-hmm. But because it's always been part of my persona, if I lose my rag, you know, and I can do mock outrage well. Sure. And, and sometimes when I get really... But angry. I'm talking about the real outrage. I'm talking about the real anger that's inside you and how you... I think that gets in the way of comedy now. Like I said, this... Sure, shit, no, I, and I certainly... Everything okay. I said was painfully unfunny. Okay. I, and I think it really gets, a, it gets in the way of what's really... But isn't, isn't that honesty getting in the way of it? That anger, that's an honest thing. And what you pride yourself on is being able to talk about the real shit and oh, so be I, really honest with the rest and of I, it. I, I, yeah. I, I've written jo- you know, jokes about it and I've, mm-hmm. you know, I've, I've written jokes about Stu because he seems to be at the forefront of comics slagging other comics. Yeah, definitely. And there's, I've noticed there's a bit of a kind of Stuart Lee backlash. I've seen a couple of shows where people have mentioned him or done jokes about him. Well, you know because what? Because that's the circuit you're going to do jokes about other it, comics, yeah. you're, you're oh, completely be fucking bulletproof. Yeah, yeah. And telegraphing your callbacks... I ain't exactly made a Kevlar. Yeah, did, no, that, that is again practically in code, but we'll, if you want to, we'll do a sheet, a handout afterwards. For <laughs> <laughs> uh, did that make sense? Yeah, let's, we, we don't. Right, if you say at the top, later on, I'm going to do something that makes sense, that's telegraphing your callback. And, Chekhov's gone. Huh? Chekhov's gone. Like, oh, you're smarter than me, I didn't know. <laughs> explain, <laughs> no, explain that to it, me. What is it? Yeah. In, in Chekhov's place, if there's a gun above the um, a gun above the fireplace in the first act, it needs to go off in the third act. Yeah, that's, it's a general rule of drama. It's a Hitchcockian thing as well. If you see someone with a, you know, if you see someone hide a gun, yeah. in the first in the first act, then, Chekhov's gun. then it's got to it's got to be fired at some point. So Otherwise, there's an this sort of fake, better phrase than a, the telegraphing your callbacks that I've come up with. Yeah, it's not it's not exactly the <laughs> not same exactly thing. Same. Yeah, sure, but it's um, it was a brilliant attempt to show off a good concept. So that's. <laughs> Um, but it's but what it's about what the Chekhov's gun thing is about the idea that there's something smouldering there and you are ripping off the audience if you don't then take it out and show it to them later on because you're kind of creating drama where 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 drama didn't exist. Okay, which brings us neatly back to the honesty of what you're of what you're giving the audience of what you're how you're marrying your actual experiences to a funny idea. And the reason I'm asking about this is because I, this is something I aspire to. This is my, my last three shows have all been attempts to heal myself ultimately by writing about stuff. I mean, my last show was called Prick because I was writing about kind of sexual selfishness and some bad things that I'd done. Mm. And I find, and this is where maybe we'll just take a different tag here. I find when I am trying to write stuff about my own faults and failures, I often find it too difficult to do. And I end up in a room typing away and looking at a thing and kind of trying to be honest and fucking... I I sometimes end up crying and getting depressed because I'm talking about what a shit person I am. And having an argument with yourself. (laughs) Having an argument with yourself and basically the 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 thing that I do the worst that I've probably done a bit of here as well is I have an argument with the England that lives in my head. Okay. (laughs) Yeah. You know, and it's like... uh, I even did a gag about it last year of just going, take that, England that lives in my head. England doesn't think I'm clever. And then I'm like, England doesn't even know who you are. Yeah. 
<laughs> so when, so how do you separate the England that, like, or, or rather, what, what, what is the relative value of an argument with the England in your head and an argument with the actual England out there, the, the genuine individuals in the room who are, who are, who are listening to it you, who are receiving you? Yeah, it doesn't exist. It's, 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 it's made up in my head. It's, it's also, look, it probably stems from, all right, we're going to go deep. It probably stems from, uh, my dad's a genius, a bona fide... Uh, world-renowned chemical engineer, sure. bona fide rocket scientist, yeah. invented the punctualist tire. Mm-hmm. Um, uh, it was involved in putting out of the uh, putting out of the Q8 all fires. Bona fide super genius. Mm-hmm. I look a lot like him. Okay. As a kid, everyone presumed I'd inherited his brains. Sure. Uh, so then, if I took what many people thought Alan Burns's brains and applied them to some pretty <laughs> class, pretty world-class cunt jokes, wasn't exactly the crowning jewel. Sure. Right. Uh, would, it, would it be fair to say that because your dad was a, an inventor and, I mean, presumably he was quite wealthy and you came from a quite wealthy No, we upbringing? were bro- uh, we, uh, all actually, my family had a, came from a caravan in the Australian outback. Okay. That's why the classes thing really bothers me. Okay. I've lived all three socioeconomic classes during the course of my life and I have to say I wasn't really necessarily a fan of a lot of the people that came in later. Okay. That came into the fold later. Sure. I'll just leave it at that. Sure. You know, but also on my mum's side, rough as guts. Really like outback thong-wearing Aussies. And I spent a lot of time with them too, you know, because uh, they were away on business a lot. So I had uh, both upbringings in tandem mm-hmm. going on a lot. And I saw quite a degree of inauthenticity in, in the upper classes. Okay. Uh, and also I saw it in the middle. And I saw a lot of snobbery and a lot of people thinking they were better than other people. And I, you know, just growing up in this, I was like, but very confusing morality. Okay, okay. So let's talk about authenticity and your desire to be honest and your desire to be authentic. Oh my God, I when, hope no one listens to this. <laughs> <laughs> when, you, when you were in your... When you were in your wild-eyed loner leather jacket phase... Did that's, you think then that you were? Do you feel now? I was. Or did though, you think then that you were being out here honest? on my own? And also, no one young was starting out in comedy in those days. Sure. There's only a few guys still around that did the open mic circuit with me when I was 19, 20. That was like Nick okay. Wilty, Nick Revel was around then. Yeah. Um, did but did you feel? That's the question. Did you feel you were being honest then when you were wearing the leather jacket? Was that you being honest, or was that you trying to sort of live? A are you talking particular- about? Are you talking about me now or me then? Uh, let's talk about you then and then... What I didn't have a fucking now. clue who I was. Okay, let's talk about you then, now then. Yeah, I didn't have a fucking you clue. You didn't know who you were, but you were, try- were you trying to be honest through the kind of posturing, aggressive stance that you took? Do you no, think no, a- no, I was just very, very Were you broke- kind of faking it? I was very brokenhearted and trying to hide myself and I discovered cocaine and that was, you know... I did a lot of coke and speed. Okay. <laughs> it's that simple. Before gigs, were you on, on drugs on stage? Ah, uh, yeah. Yeah, 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 all the time. And um, cocaine. So, so you could see when people go, he's a bit aggressive on stage. Possibly <laughs> that's where that came from. <laughs> <laughs> but yeah, when people came to my solo shows, I was very warm and engaging because I was more than, you know, more than moved that they, uh, that they bought a ticket to see me. And also, I mean, there are people still to this day that come to shows that I'm on a first name basis with mm-hmm. that I gave a flyer to in 1996 on the Royal Mile. Mm-hmm. And they've stayed with me all this time. So when I see them, it's like there's family coming back. Sure. So it's a, a, 
you probably see a very a far more gracious version. Well, I think you are a lot softer now in your performance. I was talking to someone in the queue last night before your show, a Scottish guy, and he was saying about how you, he said he thought you'd, you'd calm down a lot. There was a big stag group behind us that in the end didn't get let in. They, they closed the door just before the stag group got in. They were singing and all the rest of it. Oh, thank and, God. Yeah, yeah. Well, I think it was, I think it was the stand going, uh, we're full now. And, you know, just letting, letting you get on with it. Oh, you know what? That's good to know. Because I, I was like, hey, hang on. It said sold out and there was empty seats. Yeah, well, that's, I'm now going to go and suck why. them off. Right. Yeah, <laughs> yeah, yeah. Well, you should, yeah. Good so call. So I was chatting to the guy in front of me and we were like rolling our eyes at this guy, this group singing behind us. And we, you know, I said something. But to be along, honest, along the lines of, you know, well, if, at least if they come in, at least we know Brendan's got the gears to deal with it. You, unquestionably, you do. But what the guy said was, yeah, yeah, but he's, uh, you know, he's, he's a lot sort of softer now. He's been coming to see you for years. He read your book, all the rest of it. He said he's a lot softer now. And I wonder if whether... I, I, I kind of agree with that. I think you're... It's been eight years. Yeah, yeah, yeah. It's been eight years of that. It's funny, actually. We eight years playing, since... We were playing poker at my house. Uh, we were playing poker at my house uh, with a bunch of comics... And there's a bunch of guys I see a lot, and and Ben Norris was uh, over. He doesn't, you know, because he's got triplets. He hasn't been able to come out much, mm-hmm. and uh, he got a bit drunk and he nearly spilled salsa on my new carpet. And I went, "Don't do that. What are you doing? Oh, you're drunky. Watch your salsa." And he goes, "You've changed." <laughs> and, <laughs> and and the, the thing is, that wasn't where everyone laughed because uh, where where everyone else who's been hanging out with me and close friends, I went, "Not in eight fucking years, I haven't." And sure. everyone went, "Yeah, no, he hasn't. He's been like this for a long time now." Okay. It's, no, it's not news anymore. And, and so what was the change for you? Was it stopping drinking? Was it to do with your shows? Was it to do with you? It was a you? complete and utter emotional breakdown and a proper psychotic episode. And, uh, and uh, you know, I completely lost everything and, and uh, you know, and I, I, I did the 12 steps and everything because of my life. Mm-hmm. It was such a mess. I don't do that stuff anymore, but I have complete respect for it. I know some people tend to be cynical about it. But the fact of the matter is, if you're so broken and you fucked up your life so much, you need some structure. You need some order to, to piece it back together again. Mm-hmm. And you need to do it piece by piece. And, you, and, and, and you know, it, and you need help to do it. Uh, so... So looking... But now, it's not a big deal. You know, it's... A, I, I think I was talking to another guy who's like 20 years sober and it's, it's, mm-hmm. it's kind of one of those things of... But it's, 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 you know, the first thing they say to you is, all you have to do is change the way you do everything. Yeah. And a lot of these, suppose, I suppose, sound bites were things, conclusions that I came to, and maybe I'm not too bad at wording things, uh, sure. except for that sentence. Uh, <laughs> that wasn't practice. That was no, brand no, new. No, I believe Fuck you. you. I believe you. Um, and the, the, that's where I kind of did discover self. You know, self awareness doesn't come from within. It has to be objective point of view. It has to be from outside input. So, matter you know, no matter how much you might hate uh, someone's opinion or, or perception of you, there still has to be something there, and there's still something to to learn from and to take from it. You know, uh, I think every comic that has any degree of success learns how to, well, first of all, how to sift through criticism, what's worthwhile mm-hmm. and what's just utter drivel. Okay. All right. Um, but also, second of all, you, you learn not to really get such an ego about your show. You just want to put on the best show you can and you're not sitting in the audience. Yeah. You want to stay true to yourself uh, and, and what you want to do, but if you've got someone outside saying, 
oh, this could go here or that could go that. Always consider it. Mm-hmm. And uh, my wife even said to me yesterday, you've got to stop. You know, I, I know the way that you work with everyone else, but when you give notes to other people, you don't sugarcoat it. Mm-hmm. And it's like, well, it's because I'm usually just, you know, we've got a job to do. Yeah. I, I was just, I, maybe that's my dad in me. Uh, just a very pragmatic. There's no, you know, it's, it's, you know, you start off with the art and then you get here and then you start to get into the science. Sure. You start to get sure. into the, okay. the, the bones okay. of, 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 of entertaining well, a room given, full of people for an hour. Given how many shows you've done here, given your history, given how sophisticated your shows have become now, there's a lot of intellectual stuff in there. There's a lot of ideas that you're... I don't know about that. I think there is. I, I genuinely think there I, is. I think... I, when I've been listening to lots of comedy recently, loads and loads of comedy research for this, I've got to your shows and I've gone, oh, great, Brendan's going to say something. You know, because you are. You, that's the stuff that you do. My question was going to be, what, are, are you going to keep saying things? Do you, are the next 10 years going to be another 10 Edinburgh's for you? What's the plan, what's the plan for the, going uh, forward? Are you going to need to continue having revelations about yourself? What do you, what do you see as your, your future? I, there's no revelation about myself in this. It's just, it just turns out I was deaf. Okay. Okay. I don't necessarily mean a revelation about yourself. Uh, there's a lot, of, there's a lot of jokes to be had there of what, you know, what it was like and what it's like now. Sure. Um, uh, yeah, I, I see what you mean. And uh, if I can be Uncle Brendan for a second. <laughs> you can't take me. Yeah. Uh, when you were saying you're looking for solutions in shows, uh-huh. they're not there. Don't try and find them in shows. You'll drive yourself crazy. Anything that happens in your life that hurts, you know, it, it's catharsis is all right. I have practiced saying this, but it, it happens to be true. Catharsis, I think, has been bastardised into quick fix. Right? Catharsis is an excuse, a, a get out when people aren't being funny. Mm-hmm. And the fact that what, I have a new rule of just something happens in life that's painful before I fucking start mining it for comedy. Because, you know, as they say, plus time, mm-hmm. comedy, you know, tragedy plus time equals comedy. But I give myself time to process these things in real life first. You have to. And you have to come to acceptance before you start writing about it and turning it into comedy. Because if you're turning into comedy, you're looking for their laughter to heal you. And the fact of the matter is, you walk away every night coming down and you get up and you do the whole thing all over again for 28 nights in a row and you'll drive yourself fucking nuts. There is no solution in a show. There is no revelation in a show. It's just, you're tapping your life, you know, for... You're trying to be who you are. You're trying, I mean, that's, that's, that will never end. That will never end, that pursuit of trying to be complete and whole on stage, who you are and what makes you a funny individual. And, you know, and it'll never be for everyone. It'll never be for everyone. Um, and that will never end. That, will, that process will never end and it only just becomes easier and you just get better at doing it. Look at, you know... Look at how many guys now, like in the States, they're having that renaissance period of people are really starting to appreciate guys that have done 20 to 25 years. Yeah. And they're, you know, they're, they're, they're becoming household names. But they were guys that were just going along and just really trying to just keep on chipping away. And it always happens when you stop caring. Well, I was going to say, what, what is your attitude? And we've got to close with this now. What is your attitude to success to your success are you satisfied with the amount of success that you that you've had that, yeah. you, that you currently enjoy how do you measure it how do you how do i measure it uh, I, I can be very succinct about this actually is being able to make a living but i never have to apologize for something i've said 
because I'm too well known. I think that's the perfect balance. Like I even addressed it in the show. I toured with a, a guy called Mick Foley. He was just crazy famous and it's such an intrusion. And I realised, wow, I never want you that never in my life. Like and I know people can't get their heads around that. But I look at like people, you know, you know, we both know famous people. It's a fucking hassle. Mm. It's a real hassle. Um, you know, but my, I, I make it, as they say, 10,000 true fans and you can make a living for life. You can make a living for life. That's all you need. And, and there are so many people that are doing that now. And mm. I mean a great living. Sure. I mean, you know, holidays, second home, you know, uh, pay off your mortgage, mm. job done, live your life out. Um, I mean, the next thing is Barry and I are working on a screenplay based on the book. Then if I shoot the film, that will probably be my final life's goal done. Great. And then I'll be fucking miserable. <laughs> <laughs> That's all we've got time for. Ladies and gentlemen, we're slightly overrunning, so we've got to, we've got to get done. No, it's my fault entirely. Would you please give it up for Mr. Brendan Burns? God, he was pressing, Thanks, wasn't man. he? He Thank was you. very pressing. <laughs> So that was Brendan. I, I think some people have said to me that the shows from last year, the live shows, maybe got into less depth than if I was just sitting around someone's house interviewing them for two hours and, and could sort of pick the best bits. But I really feel, I'm very proud of these conversations because I really feel that although they are a shorter snapshot perhaps of where someone is, I do think we're getting into some depth. So uh, keep listening. Uh, do please uh, tweet at me at ComComPod. Get in touch, info at comedianscomedian.com if you'd care to. Uh, with any questions for any of my upcoming guests, they're all at the website, www.comedianscomedian.com. And if you do fancy tweeting with the, the hashtag EdFringe in support of the podcast or just to tell the world to flood flood the internet with the, the knowledge that it's happening every day at 5.15pm in the Gilded Balloon. Guests including Bo Burnham, uh, Sarah Millican, Al Murray, all of those still to come, then I would be enormously grateful. Sorry if this one's a bit thrown together in terms of the chatting part. Probably you can't tell the difference, but to me it feels a bit thrown together. I'm in an enormous hurry. So uh, I'm off now. I'm off now to interview Andrew Maxwell. So uh, that one will be coming around before too long as well. Keep listening. Keep enjoying the show. Keep telling your friends. Share it around. Uh, I really appreciate you all listening to it. Thank you very much. This is... Uh, it's only now up here doing the, the podcast as, as a main show rather than a, a side show to my, to my stand-up. Doing that for this year in Edinburgh, I've really become aware of how proud I am of this show and uh, how grateful I am to all of you for continuing to support it and listen to it. Thank you very much. Uh, and, I, I've, I, and this must be true because my girlfriend points out that this is the happiest Edinburgh I've ever had. <laughs> it's an awful lot less introspection and self-loathing. Good luck to everyone who's doing shows up here. I've seen some absolutely brilliant ones. I'll go into those more detail next time I speak to you. Thanks a lot. Sick of being upsold at gyms? My guy, you're currently a base member. For $90 more, I can upgrade you to our Shred membership. For $130 more, you'll be a swole member. And for just $300 more, you'll reach Sweat Platinum. At Planet Fitness, you'll get energy without the upsell. Never pushy, always free fitness training and equipment for every workout. It's fitness that fits your budget. Join Planet Fitness for just $1 down and $10 a month. Cancel anytime. Deal ends Friday, May 10th. See Home Club for details.